0: Welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Hello and welcome to this podcast episode. I'm recording this from a hotel room in Melbourne. I'm here for a couple of days to do a presentation to a group talking about innovation and the future of work and where their careers are going. And uh, I want to talk today about innovation, but innovation in a different kind of way. So uh, a lot of organisations do innovation, they try innovation, they have a number of innovation programmes, and yet many of those programmes, even with really positive, motivated workforces, uh, don't have traction, or maybe they have traction and then they peter away after a while. So I want to talk about why that happens and what I think is a missing element from most change in innovation programs. So when people talk about innovation disruption, one of the most common stories that they, that they quote is the one about Kodak. And they often talk about as Kodak versus Instagram. So Kodak was the market leader in film photography, but it failed because it couldn't adapt to digital photography. And now, of course, companies like Instagram have leveraged on the growth in digital photography. So why did Kodak fail? Well, there are many variations of this story. And they all talk about different reasons for Kodak's demise. For example, it had too much invested in film, so it didn't want to give up that technology or couldn't see anything else, or it had grown so big that it stopped innovating, or that the organisational structure couldn't cope with the digital world. And you hear many of these stories. There's even one dramatic story that the Kodak employee who invented the first digital camera was told by his senior management to hide it away because it would destroy their market. Now, the problem with these stories is that they just aren't true. And what's worse, they hide the real reason behind Kodak's demise. So why did Kodak fail? Well, we'll get to that. But to answer this, let's start by looking at the most common reasons that many change and innovation programs fail. And and just to be clear, we're not talking about the simple and obvious reasons, things like we're just making change for the sake of change. So you're just shuffling deck chairs on on the Titanic, or that management doesn't have buy-in for the change, or that you've got a toxic workplace culture, which will automatically try to sabotage any change efforts. And let's assume that your organization isn't in one of those situations. So you're making real change that matters, you do have management buy-in, and you've got a reasonably approachable, or at least open culture to some of these change efforts. And of course, we're talking about essential change and innovation efforts that are designed to keep your organization and your team current or maybe even ahead of the game. And yet many of them still fail. So why? So let's look at a number of reasons. The first one is that some people are just disengaged and this is of course the 800 pound gorilla in the room, the whole topic of employee engagement. We hear over and over about the employee engagement crisis. There's so many people who are quoting research, usually from Gallup, that suggests that in Australia fewer than a quarter of Australian employees are engaged. Now worldwide the number is much less, it's about 13% but uh, we shouldn't be breaking out the champagne over the fact that we're twice as good as the worldwide average when still we're still down to about a quarter, 24%. And we hear this so often that it's easy to just dismiss it as old news. But the fact remains that if people are disengaged, it's difficult to get them excited about change and innovation. They're already just turning up and putting in the hours, and they don't care about the results. They might even be unaware that the world is changing around them, and their jobs might be obsolete. They just get on with their routine work, checking into work each day, but checking out in their heads, their hearts, and their spirits. So it's unrealistic to expect them to suddenly perk up and get behind something that'll almost certainly need more work, more energy, and more engagement. They're like gears that have worn out and don't engage anymore. And they'll keep slipping, and you'll keep slipping behind. Now, the good news is you don't have to throw out the worn-out gears and replace them with shiny new models. It is possible to re-engage people, but not by forcing them to accept yet another innovation program. Another problem is that some people are stuck in old ways of thinking. Unfortunately, many workplaces have these people. Even when they know they should think differently, they just don't know how to do it. Because what used to work for them, those old strategies, just don't work anymore. Um, Let me give an example about productivity. When I was first promoted to a leadership role in a small software startup company in the 1990s, (laughs) And that makes me feel old. Uh, One of my coping strategies for information overload was to arrive at the office early every morning so I could get in a productive hour or two before everybody else arrived. Now, that strategy worked 30 years ago. But now, in our hyper-connected, always-on, 24-7 world, that doesn't work anymore. So think about that for productivity. We need new strategies. And in the same way, many people cling on to what used to work in the past for them desperately hoping that it will continue to work, not just in productivity, but just in every area of their life, particularly when it comes to change. And when it doesn't work, they feel lost and disempowered. And if they don't actually resign, they become resigned to accepting their fate. They become cynical and just go through the motions at work. Uh, Timothy Butler, in his book, Getting Unstuck, calls this an impasse, and he goes on to describe a six-step process for recognizing and overcoming an impasse. And the people who break through it, what they do is, as he describes, they begin to listen better and to be open to a new kind of information. And that's good, but the catch is that this is step four of his six-step process. Many people never get that far, and for many others, by the time they get that far, it's too late. The next problem is that you've got people in your workplace who might resist change. And this these people are like close cousins to the first two kinds of employees. They dig in their heels to protect the status quo, and they never take the initiative to create something new. And in many ways, these resistant employees are even worse than the disengaged people or the cynical people. The disengaged person is unaware of change, and the cynical person passively ignores it. But the resistant person actively fights against it. And look, if you've only got one or two of them in your team, and they're not too prominent and not too dominant, then the rest of the team can drag them along, sometimes kicking and screaming, but at least they can make it happen. But If these resistant people make up the majority, in other words, you have a culture of resistance, it's like a massive gravitational force that's holding you back. And these resistant employees might even know that they're digging a hole for themselves, especially in a fast-changing world where not changing leads to extinction. But there's a paradox here because resistance is not necessarily futile at least in the short term. For a while, you can survive by resisting change or frantically putting all your efforts into restoring the status quo. You can do it, but not for long. Now, another problem is that most people think that change and innovation aren't part of their job. And I know I've painted kind of a fairly grim picture of the workplace, but of course, it's not all doom and gloom. Not everybody is cynical or disengaged or resistant. There are plenty of positive, empowered, engaged workplaces with people who genuinely enjoy their work and look forward to it. But that still doesn't mean that they adapt to change or innovation well. Even in a positive workplace where people do find their work interesting and would engage in innovation or change if they were asked to, many of them just don't see it as part of their work. Many people, maybe even most people, think of innovation as something big like inventing a new iPhone, or creating a nanotechnology surgery robot, or sending a commercial spaceship to Mars. And these major world-changing innovations capture the world's attention. But everyday innovation, or continuous improvement, or Kaizen, as the Japanese call it, is just as important. Now, one small idea might not have the same impact as one big idea, but thousands of small ideas building on each other might. And this was the strategy behind the British Tour de France team that won the Tour de France in 2012. Their rider, Bradley Wiggins, became the first British cyclist to win the Tour de France. And their coach, Dave Brailsford, adopted this approach, which he called marginal gains. So you make a series of seemingly small improvements and that ultimately led to their victory. For example... They color-coded the drink bottles that the riders picked up during the race. So a bottle with a white top was water, a blue top was an energy drink. And now that simple change saved a few seconds each time a rider reached for a drink. And that might not seem like much, over three and a half thousand kilometers, but it was just one of many small changes that all added up. But there's a problem with this kind of innovation. It often wastes time and energy. When you have a clear goal, like we in the Tour de France, it's easy to direct these small innovations where they matter most. But without direction and clarity, it's tempting and it's easy to fall into the trap of putting excessive resources into improving something that shouldn't be a high priority. In fact, this is known in economics as Parkinson's law of triviality. It's also informally called the bicycle shed problem, where people who are designing the layout of a new building, they leave all the complex design tasks to the experts because only the experts know how to do it, but then they spend endless hours debating the design of a simple bicycle shed because everybody has an opinion about it. So you need to do more even in a positive workplace. Another problem is that you can't motivate your stars. When workplace researchers, Rob Goffey and Gareth Jones, asked people about what makes the best workplace on earth, they identified six things, and these are published in the Harvard Business Review. Number one, identity, in other words, let me be myself. Two, information, tell me what I need to know to get my job done. Three, talent, help me develop my skills. Four, pride, Give me a place I can say I'm proud to work at. And number five is meaning. Give me work that's meaningful, not just menial. And six, don't get in the way with stupid rules. And this is radically different from workplaces a generation ago, where, according to Gallup, employees were looking for things like superannuation, flexible holidays, and good benefits. But even leaders and managers who offer these six more modern things still struggle to attract and retain the best of the best, the stars or the high potentials. The best people want different things now and many leaders don't know what they are. So the best people stay for a while, hoping to be attracted and inspired, but they eventually get pulled by a stronger magnet and they leave. According to a study by the Corporate Executive Board, as many as 25% of these stars plan on leaving their job within a year. Now two of those top three reasons for staying are in that list of the best workplace on earth, their connectedness and development opportunities, but crucially one of them isn't in the list and that's feeling challenged. So put it another way, your stars want to be involved in innovation and change and not only do they want to embrace change, they want to create it and lead it and not just change for change's sake that doesn't give them meaning or change that ultimately leads nowhere, that doesn't give them pride, they want real challenges that create real change that makes a real difference in the future. In fact, of the six things that make up that best workplace on earth, the thing they want most from their workplace, and of course, their leaders and managers, is the one that seems the easiest to provide, which is information. But they don't want it the way that other workers do, which is, tell me what I need to know to get my job done. They want the more advanced version, Tell me what I need to know to innovate. And I can speak from personal experience here. When I was a young software developer and project manager working for that software startup company in the 1990s, I was leading a team that was developing some software that supported the infrastructure of the early internet. Now, this was in our little part of the world, so in Australia and Asia, and then we started doing projects elsewhere in Europe and North America as well. And even when we were writing pretty basic and, let's face it, boring software that didn't do much except measure the intensity of a laser in an undersea optical fibre cable system, we knew that we were part of what was at the time the fastest internet transmission technology in the world. And because we understood that, we knew the bigger picture and even had a tiny inkling of how much the internet might change the world in the future because it was just starting to do it at that time. Because of that, we were motivated to think sharper, to work harder and to stay the course longer. So we've talked about a number of problems that many workplaces are facing when it comes to innovation and change. We're going to get to the solution soon, but I, the one other thing I want to say is that it's not your fault as a manager or leader if innovation and change is harder than ever before, because change is difficult. And we've looked at some of the reasons why, uh, even if you have smart, talented and motivated people, it's still difficult to get traction. So before we look at how to make your change in innovation program sizzle, let's look at one other problem, that's you. Yep, you. Now, most leaders and managers just don't know how to lead teams in a disruptive, fast-changing world. And this is true even if you're an experienced leader, or dare I say it, especially if you're an experienced leader. What used to work doesn't work anymore and you need new strategies to lead and manage effectively. Uh, I like to draw the metaphor with computer games. When I was growing up in the 1980s, computer games like Pong had very basic graphics, just a few black and white pixels moving around a screen. Now we have gaming devices like the Xbox that deliver such compelling visuals and three-dimensional effects. They look almost realistic and the trouble is there are many leaders today feel like Pong thinkers in an Xbox world. This is a classic case of imposter syndrome, which a surprising number of leaders feel, especially now when the leadership techniques that you learned and honed over decades just don't get the same traction anymore. Andy Malinsky, who's a professor of organizational behavior at the Brandis International Business School, wrote an article which seems to have a pessimistic title, Everyone Suffers from Imposter Syndrome. But he goes on to offer uh, some solutions and ends on a positive note. He says... Next time you're in a situation that feels completely outside your comfort zone, consider it your opportunity to learn from your missteps and to bring forth a new perspective that others may not have. So that is optimistic and that's the light at the end of the tunnel. So now it's time to turn our attention away from the tunnel and towards that light. So how do you lead the change? So far, we've discussed a number of problems and challenges that many organizations, teams, and leaders face, from the highly negative, where you've got disengaged people, to reasonably positive, where you've got motivated stars. And if you look at them, they kind of make up a hierarchy. So the first three that we talked about are people are disengaged, they're stuck, or they're resistant. So they're kind of the negative side of it. And then on the more positive, you may have a, a workplace where people are interested, they're innovative, or maybe even inspired. And that's what we want to aspire to the innovative and inspired. Although I've spoken mostly about innovation and change, the real impact of these attitudes is the speed and quality of decision-making in your team and in your organization. And one of my smartest business mentors, Creel Price, described decision-making as the single most important skill in business today. He called it decisionship. And it's pretty hard to argue with him, especially in a much faster business environment where the speed of your decisions matters as much as their quality. So what does it take to move your team above the line so they're no longer disengaged, stuck or resistant, but interested, innovative, and inspired. And the result, and the goal, is that you're all making sharper decisions and you're making them faster. Well, I've kind of alluded to this solution earlier when talking about motivating your stars. Remember that what they want and what everybody else needs is the right information. Tell me what I need to know to innovate. In other words, give them the right information and then set them loose on innovation and change. And this might sound obvious, but many teams and organizations don't, especially when they're looking at the future. And some of the research supports this. Brothers Chip and Dan Heath, in their book Decisive, they confirm this. They talk about four principles for making better decisions. And three of the four relate directly to the skill of finding the right information. Widen your options, test your assumptions, and think further into the future. So futurists call this skill foresight and I think it's a missing element from most innovation and change programs. So Foresight's ability to look into the future. Now, it's not about predicting the future like a fortune teller or a lucky gambler. Rather, it's about using the tools that futurists use to direct and drive change, for example, Some of the things you might do are identify trends in the way that customers interact with businesses in your industry. You might understand how new technology will change your business. You might be examining global megatrends to identify potential threats and new opportunities. And you could also learn how personal choices are driving professional decisions. So after all that, let's return to that Kodak moment. We all know that innovation needs ideas and action. In fact, a common definition of innovation is applied creativity. And ideas and action are better than no action at all, or as General George Patton said, a good plan violently executed now is better than a perfect plan executed next week. But even that's not enough. If you generate ideas without foresight, many of them just don't have any practical value. So you waste your time and energy on things that don't give you enough return. And that's what happened to Kodak. They weren't afraid that digital cameras would cannibalize their existing products. They didn't deliberately try to kill off a threat, and they just didn't see what was coming up in the future. The first digital camera, built by a Kodak engineer, was as big as a toaster, took 20 seconds to take a picture, and the resolution was much lower than the equivalent print. And Kodak's management looked at it, they assessed it, they reviewed it, but eventually they discarded it because they thought it would never be good enough to compete with film cameras. So their problem was that they didn't account for exponential growth, which meant that the improvements happened much faster than they expected. And that lack of foresight tarnished that innovation and all their future innovation, which meant that even that they were making progress, it wasn't in the right direction. Now, it's easy to look back now and criticise Kodak for its lack of foresight, but many businesses now are doing exactly the same thing, and they're doing it for exactly that same reason, a lack of foresight. To be truly successful, innovation needs all three elements, ideas, action, and foresight, and the key is to start with foresight. So how do you get going with that? Well, over the last couple of years, I've put together a program which is now the Think Sharper program, which teaches you how to think like a futurist. This has been developed over time where I've been working with a number of clients and they often ask me, how do we keep in touch with what's coming up in the future. How do we follow what you're following? How do we learn the sort of skills that you learn and that you share with us? And that's why I put together this program. The the goal is that you can apply foresight to your everyday change and innovation programs. And my goal is that you'll build a habit of innovation in your team and your organization. So innovation happens all the time and not just when things quieten down, which of course never happens. So don't think a crash diet, think a healthy lifestyle. So. This program is for you if you're the kind of leader and you recognize you'll fall into one of these categories. Your industry is changing fast and you don't know what's around the corner, or you don't want to be caught napping when your business or industry is disrupted, or you want to attract the best people and keep the best people that you have, or you want to get your people out of their old ways of thinking, or you don't know how to get them thinking differently or you want to motivate your star employees. These are things I've talked about, and these are the sort of challenges that many leaders and managers are having at the moment. So my goal in this program is that you're gonna learn how to identify the six kinds of disruptive forces that could affect your business. you learn how to scan the environment for trends and technology that you can apply in your workplace. you learn how to evaluate the biggest threats and the most exciting opportunities that'll give you the highest return on investment. You'll also learn how to turn your existing strengths and weaknesses into tools for embracing change. And because we're talking about modern workplaces, you'll understand the 10 key skills you need to thrive in the future workplace. Above all, you and your people will learn how to stay ahead of the game, make better decisions and make them faster. So I want you to be able to pull from the future rather than pushing from the past. And that's the key difference when you start with foresight. You start with the future focus. So instead of pushing change from the past, you pull it towards you from the future. Then when you think like a futurist, you can then act like an innovator. So if you really want to create compelling change, first learn how to see into the future so you can design your path to success. As a team, you'll stay ahead of the game. And as a leader, You can feel proud and excited to be leading this motivated team. So if you want to find out more about the Think Sharper program, please get in touch with me. I'd love to talk with you about how we can work together to integrate this into your organizations, so you and your team can make better decisions faster through innovation and change. I want to end with a story. It's a story that he might have heard. It's a story about the two hunters who are running away from an angry bear. And the bear's still some distance away, but is rapidly gaining ground. And one hunter stops, pulls off his backpack, and starts changing out of his hiking boots into his running shoes. Now his partner yells at him, what are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. And the first hunter looks up at him and says, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you. Now, I think the same applies in a fast-changing world. As much as you might despair at the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous environment through which you have to steer your team and your organization, you can take heart from the fact that hardly anybody is getting it right. You don't have to be a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk to change the world. All you have to do is learn how to stay ahead of the game. There are huge opportunities for those who are prepared. It doesn't take much to stand out. If you apply foresight, align your innovation with the future and turn it into a habit in your team, you already have a significant advantage over everybody else. So please take action and start now. Welcome to the future. Mm Now, if you want to know what's on the horizon for the future, download my app, Fit for the Future, for your iPhone or your Android phone. And I created this app because many people come up to me after my keynote conference presentations and ask me how I do my own research, what blogs I read, what podcasts I listen to, what books I read, and they want some recommendations so that they can become fit for the future as well. So I created this app. I update it regularly with news, articles, videos, book recommendations, and other resources to help you become fit for the future. It's free and it's ad free so head over to the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store and just search for Fit for the Future and you'll find my app there. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and professional life. And if you did get some value from it, I would love it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating in the iTunes store in the podcast area. And that helps to promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this live at your next conference, then check out my speaking topics and workshop topics at gihanspeaks.com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, Go to Gihanpereira.com where you can find my blog, my newsletter, my podcast, videos and my free webinar series. They're all free and they're all designed to help you leverage the potential of your organization, your team and of course yourself so that you can become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.